Welcome to C3 Church Central Coast Sermon Cast. We pray that you'll be inspired and impacted by this message and trust that you're better equipped to live your best life. Now, have you ever felt supremely confident? Have you ever gone into a situation, perhaps you've gone into a job interview and you think, this job was made for me. And there's other good candidates in the waiting room, but you know you're going to get the job. Or maybe you've had a debate with someone and you've got such a conviction that even though that person's taking the opposite view, you know you're going to talk them around. Or maybe it's a, uh, a prayer situation where God's given you a promise and even though the circumstances oppose it, you are convinced and confident that God's promise will be fulfilled. Maybe the doctors have given you a bad prognosis, but you're so full of faith in God's promise to heal that you end up coming through completely healthy. Or perhaps uh, on, on the sporting field, you've played a game of sport and there's the opposition and they're quite formidable, but you are in the zone. Do you know what I mean? If you've ever played sport and you just think, no, I don't care how confident they are, I know I've got their measure. And when you win that match, it's absolutely no surprise to you. Well, we have times of, of confidence in spite of opposition. Now, you've probably heard of Winston Churchill. And he had uh, such confidence. He displayed it at a time where there was a lot more at stake than just getting a job or winning a game of tennis uh, or winning an argument. It was obviously in the early days of World War II... Um, when uh, things were very grim for England, uh, Churchill had already been a, a well-known political figure and, and involved in leadership in World War I, but this was when he really came to the fore. And as you probably know, Nazi Germany had shocked the world. Uh, they had swept their armies right throughout Europe and they had uh, almost all of the British forces forced into a little corner of France... Uh, at a place named Dunkirk and it looked like they could be wiped out at any time and right in the middle of the crisis Winston Churchill was voted in as Prime Minister uh, or it was appointed Prime Minister uh, of England and he wrote later about that appointment and that moment and uh, Ruth and I were in London earlier this year and we went to the Churchill Museum which is fantastic and it's in the war cabinet rooms it's underneath the ground in London where he conducted his war room decisions cabinet making decisions and um or cabinet making the decisions I should say uh all under underground uh and uh and there is a quote and he said this at the point he was appointed uh Prime Minister, he said, at last I had the authority to give directions over the whole scene. I'm tempted to go into a Winston Churchill accent, but I won't because I don't do such a great one. But you've got to imagine. I felt as if I were walking with destiny and that all my past life had been but a preparation for this hour and for this trial. I thought I knew a good deal about it all, and I was sure I should not fail. And, of course, he didn't fail. He firstly organised the largest evacuation of troops the world's ever seen. Over 300,000 soldiers 
were evacuated uh, from Dunkirk, made their way back to England. They used civilian boats. You probably know the story. It's amazing. They call it the miracle of Dunkirk. And they uh, got back, and then, of course, Churchill regrouped, uh, rallied those troops and others, and with the help of the Allied forces, after years of, as he famously said, blood, toil, tears, and sweat, uh, you know, they eventually, we eventually uh, defeated Hitler and saved the world from Nazi oppression. Now, today, I want you to know that you are also in a war. You have an enemy who is very real, who is out to get you. You need to fight. And it's not just for your sake, but for the sake of others. There are big issues at stake. And our war is just as important for world history as World War II. That's a big statement. Uh, but it's a true statement. We're just fighting a hidden war on a very different front. It's a spiritual war. And it's a front that many people don't even know exists, but lives and eternal destinies are at stake. And so today we're starting a series on spiritual warfare. And you can see behind me, thanks Fiona, for the cool uh, graphics. Uh, and we're going to, over the next few weeks, uh, cover a number of different things. We're going to discover who our enemy is, what his methods and strategies of attack are. We'll figure out why we are fighting, what we're fighting for. And, of course, we're going to study the weapons that God's given us, the armour and weaponry that he's provided uh, for us to fight with and how we should use them. But today, the first and, and main thing I want you to catch today is that you can fight with confidence, that, uh, that this is a war you are destined to win. Just like Winston Churchill felt that confidence, he, he had no illusions that times were tough, that there was a long, difficult war in front of them, but he held on to that confident expectation that they would prevail and that victory would be won. And we need to have that same internal confidence. Uh, even when times are tough, even if you feel like Churchill did and others at the time, hard-pressed, uh, that you maybe you feel failure is right at your door, that there are forces against you, you feel like caving in, you're, you're going to be crushed. But no matter what the circumstances, you can be confident of victory. Why do I say that? Because we don't fight on our own in life or on this spiritual battlefield. We have Jesus at our side. And so we can be confident and strong because... We've got uh, Jesus providing not just a pat on the back, but real armory and real weaponry. And this is why the Bible calls it the good fight of faith. You've heard that expression. It doesn't say it's a bad fight of faith. It doesn't say it's a lost cause or the war that you may or may not win or lose or the battle that's going to get the better of you. It's the good fight of faith. It's still a fight. It's fought by faith, so it's a spiritual battlefield and, and platform, as I said, but it's good because Jesus has set us up for victory. And, you know, in one sense, he has already won the war. In other words, he has defeated the enemy, the devil, known as Satan, uh, who is a real foe, as I said, uh, but one who met his match when Jesus came to earth. Because when you read the New Testament, you see... First of all, Jesus was tempted by the devil. You know, he was led into the desert and the devil tempted him and he tried to shy him away from the work, the mission that God had put Jesus on earth for, uh, but he couldn't succeed in that. 
And, and then when you follow the earthly ministry of Jesus, you see him continually demonstrating his power over the devil. He's healing people. He's delivering people who are suffering from demonic bondages. And then, of course, he had to stand up against the intimidation, the persecution that the Jewish leaders at the time brought against him. And they were inspired by the devil. They were threatened and, and, and influenced by the devil so that they were opposing God's work. Uh, and then, of course, he faced the devil's temptation to throw it all in to avoid going through the pain and suffering of the cross. But again, he overcame that and he went through death to resurrection and victory. Praise the Lord. And, and the New Testament reflects on this a number of times. So I want you to show a few scriptures and you can write them down and look at them and study them for yourself later. But just to encourage you and to be aware that this is not just talk or hype or theory, but it's a very real issue with real promises of the victory that Jesus has already won. So First John uh, chapter 3 verse 8 says, The Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. So one of the primary cause, reasons for Jesus to come to earth was to beat up the devil. That's part of what he's provided for us, being saved from sin, saved from the works of the devil. He's come to destroy them. Look at Colossians chapter 2 verse 13 to 15. It says, God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all our sins. He cancelled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. That's a great image, isn't it? It's like you've got all these mistakes and all these sins you've made. And then he says, I'll have that. It's okay. And then as they nailed those nails into his hands on the cross, he, he, it's like he took all those charges against you and nailed them up there and left them up there. And then look what it says. In this way, Jesus disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. So there it is. Jesus is not struggling. He's already beaten the devil. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil, who had the power of death. See that? Jesus has broken the power of the devil and death. Only in this way, verse 15, could he set free. Everyone say, set free. See, we are set free. That's, that's very good. A lot of people live like they've got chains on them, you know, we're, we're set free, tied up, you know, like you, do your kids do this where they tie, they get all your ropes you use for your motorbikes and then you can't, whenever you want to strap down your bike, you can't find your rope because the kids have been tying each other up, uh, you know, and, and they're bound up with like eight kinds of different rope and it's all very cute and fun for them, yeah, where are my ropes, or else they've, you know, and then, and then, but winch them up into a tree and uh, not, around, not by the neck. Oh, that's silly. But, uh, you know, you can get tied up and bound up. Anyway, back to the Bible. Only in this way could he, be, could, we, could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. Wow. So again, we don't have to live like a slave to the fear of dying. We don't have to live under fear. We, we, the power of the devil and death is broken. Praise the Lord. Colossians chapter 1. Jesus has delivered us 
from the domain of darkness or the kingdom of darkness and he's moved or transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That's pretty cool. So those scriptures tell me that through Jesus and only through Jesus, Satan's works can be destroyed. Satan was shamed, defeated through the work of the cross to set people free from his oppression. The power and fear of death, which the devil tries to hold over people, can be broken. And that we've been delivered from living under the devil's kingdom to living in God's kingdom. And I don't know about you, but I prefer God as my king than the devil. And I get that choice. Now, this doesn't mean that we are free from struggles. There is still an enemy, as I said. Eventually, at the end of time, Jesus is going to judge the world. And the Bible says that Satan will be thrown into the lake of fire, where he eventually will be. And he belongs there. But until then, he is still alive. He is active. The Bible tells us that he's continually uh, tempting people to sin, prowling about like a lion, accusing the brethren, attempting to condemn Christians. He tries to steal, to kill, to destroy. He's oppressing, even at times possessing people with evil spirits. So none of us are immune to his attacks just because we commit our lives to Christ. In fact, when you do give your life to Christ, huh, we become a target. Uh, we're actually a threat to the devil's work. Uh, so it's like catch-22. You know, you don't give your life to Christ, the devil's got you and you're going to hell. You give the life to Christ, it gets worse. He's having a go at you. But, it, but it's, it's, it's not bad uh, because we don't have to be sitting ducks, so to speak. We don't have to just... Uh, be, you know, a stationary target with no means of defense, no means of retaliation against the enemy where he's just going to beat you up. Because what we can do is get equipped, get trained and go out into the battlefield of life and claim for ourselves the victory that Jesus has paid for and provided for. And, uh, and so this is what we are called to do. Because, you know, war involves both Offense and defense. And, and we'll learn, learn more about the, the attacks of the devil and how we need to defend against that. But what I want you to catch today is that we are not just on the defense. We, we are to advance. Jesus calls us to move forward, to be confident of victory. You don't get victory by just defending. It's not just us holding up against the devil. We are moving forward against him. And so we should be holding an FOB, a forward operating base. I've learned a lot about army jargon in the last few years because, uh, you know, I get it on the phone and then I have to ask Hudson what he actually means. But, you know, they use this term forward operating base, um, an FOB. In other words, a place that you take where you might set up a position of defence, but it's all about trying to get forward into the opposition territory. And that's exactly what Jesus meant when he said... I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Because gates are a symbol of defense. The gates of hell, gates are trying to protect one's position. 
not advance, just cope. And Jesus says the devil won't be able to cope. He can't stop us advancing. Jesus will build his church and he will break down the gates. We will be able to knock down those gates. We bind up the strong man, as another scripture refers to. We plunder his house and win back and bring back into God's possession things that the devil has stolen. And so we can have and should have confidence as we march out onto this battlefield. You're on the winning side. If you obey your commander, if you work with his orders, you follow the right rules of engagement. And so there's, and there's plenty to fight for. I mean, if you just think of scenarios in your life where there can be battles, and you can see how people are losing the battles that they should be winning, because you should be and can be fighting for your health. That's a constant issue. Uh, and I, I'm encouraged, you know, when I see people who are struggling and fighting against sickness, still coming to the house of God, still contending for healing, rather than just lying down and saying, oh, well, I'm, I, I've got it. It's going around. It's that time of year. I'm lying down and letting sickness get the better of me. But we've got promises we can stand on and fight for healing. It may be that the enemy has uh, claimed territory that you've got to claim back. And, uh, you know, you, you might have gone backwards financially or you might be living with guilt or uh, a sense of condemnation because of your past, but God set you free and calling you to, to, to live free of guilt. And so you're going to, you know, fight to take a hold of that position. Maybe uh, you are resisting the temptation to sin. And so you can, and that's a fight you can win. Maybe you're standing on God's promises in spite of opposition from people who don't understand your position of faith. And they don't get it. And they're trying to talk you out of believing God for something that you know he's spoken to you about. Maybe you're trying to serve God in a certain way and you're trying to minister to people who need your help, but it's difficult. There's spiritual resistance. There's opposition. There's attack. And you're tempted to, to just give up. You think, oh, it's all too difficult. But rather than give up, you can fight for what you know is right. You can resist the attacks. You can press on in God's strength. And, and we're hopefully all of us contending for Jesus to build his church. And that doesn't always come easy. Because the devil doesn't step out of the way. He tries to do everything he can to oppose that. And so there are battles that we will face as we work together to see Jesus build his church. But again, we can and we will win. Amen? And so there is a tension between knowing that we have to fight, that there is a formidable foe, that there is an issue, that there are spiritual battles in life, but at the same time we can be at peace, we can sense that destiny that we're going to win, we can be confident and have a sense of contentment in life because we're living under the grace of God, the love of God. Nothing can separate me from that and the power of God, the anointing of God is on my life. And so there's a tension there. We're not, you know, ignoring this issue, but we're confident about our position on the battlefield. Now, those verses we read uh, remind us of how Jesus is more powerful than the devil. But note this, he's delegated that power. He's given that authority to others. And we notice this in chapter 10 of the book of Matthew, because he says this, uh, when he had called to him his 12 disciples... He gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of diseases. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. Freely you have received, freely give, he said. 
And so that was, uh, I think I've got verse 1 and then I've jumped down to verse 8. I may have got the, the, the actual reference of that verse wrong in there. I think the chapter's correct, but you can check for yourself uh, where it, exactly it is. I've got, a, I've got an 8 appearing there and I may have uh, copied that incorrectly. But Jesus has given this power that he has. In fact, at the end of the book of Matthew, you know that verse, he says, all authority has been given to me. He says, well, then now you go with this authority and make disciples, preach the gospel, go and you know, do the work of, of the ministry. And so Jesus has authority. The devil you know, hasn't. And so we need to take that authority that he's given us. He's given us his name in prayer and spiritual weaponry, which we'll talk about later. And so every believer, every follower of Jesus can share and use the power and authority that he's got. And here's some more scriptures showing you that position of victory that you can take. Look at Romans chapter 8.31. You may know this first. If God is for us, who can be against us? Rhetorical question. You know? Well, the devil can try, but in other words, he's not going to win. It's Romans 8.31. Uh, and then... Hopefully you've also got First John chapter 4, uh, verse 3 to 4. Every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. See, there is a figure, you read the book of Revelation, about an Antichrist person at the end of time. But the spirit of the Antichrist pops up in all different ways. We're talking about World War II. Well, obviously Hitler had a bit of that on him. And, uh, and there are other examples throughout history. You can find that in your workplace. Now, I'm not saying that you go and label your boss, you know, the Antichrist, and then ask for a pay rise at the same time, you know. I'm just saying that you can find in normal day-to-day living something that you think, why is this so difficult? Why does that person seem to hate me? Why is, what, what is, this, why is this more of a challenge than it should be? Why is everything, why is all hell breaking loose when I just started to really make a go of living for God and, and because in the world there is this spirit of the Antichrist. He said, it's already in the world. But look at verse 4. You are of God, little children. You have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Hello. First John, first John, chapter 5, verse 4. Everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. This is the same book, another chapter later. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. So again, that's how we fight in the spirit, with faith. James chapter 4 verse 7. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. There's a promise. Not resist the devil and you may or may not win, but he will come back and get you and you'll lose and beat you up. No, he will flee. You resist him in the name of Jesus. Ephesians chapter 6, and we'll revisit this whole chapter because it talks a lot about the armour of God, but just notice these couple of verses. Ephesians 6 verse 10 and 11, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armour of God. Why? That you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Well, there's, there's many other scriptures too. I just want you to catch a hold of them and be built up in your confidence because they... Uh, as I said, some of many that talk about you being more than a conqueror, that you're led in triumph, that you rule and reign in life, that you're seated along with Christ in heavenly realms and, and have that position of authority. So it, this is God's call. Listen to me, church. This is God's call on your life. 
You've got to decide. Am I just going to do what others do? I'm going to do what God calls me to be. Because emotionally, it's tempting to go under, isn't it? When, there are, when there's pressure on. There's, a, there's an appeal of it's to live like a victim or to live with self-pity or to, or to struggle and to go. It's, it's very courageous to, to lay claim to victory when you don't really feel like it or don't see it or haven't experienced it. It's a bold position to take. And, and, and Christian people can be criticised for being flippant or uh, uh, regard, uh, disregarding suffering. And I'm not at all. We have a good theology of suffering. Ha! Trust me. I've had my share of suffering and no doubt we'll have more. So we're not, I'm not saying, oh, this is just name it and claim it and you'll be right and tiptoe through the tulips and, uh, you know, life is just perfect because you're giving your life to Christ and it's all... Listen, you've got to decide. God's call is for you to be someone who runs to the battle, not from it. To be a warrior in life, not a warrior. To be a victor, not a victim. To be a winner, not a whinger. To overcome rather than be overwhelmed. To move forward, not to shrink back. To be the head, not the tail, which the Bible talks about. To be an influencer, not an insecure introvert. To be bold, not beaten up by the enemy. To exhibit courage, not cowardice. To make a difference in life, not just make a living. And to live with God's love and light and love and life. And love and life and light and love and love. And all those words begin with L. So that you're boldly caring and boldly sharing and living with faith, hope and love, making a difference. This is God's call. So rather than getting bogged down in the battlefield, wondering and worrying if you're going to win or even survive, you can live from a place of victory. This is good theology, not just hype. As I said, this is based on the word of God, which we've been looking at. Because true kingdom living is not struggling to gain victory over the devil, but it's living in faith with the victory Jesus has already provided. And, and we're not to go searching for a devil around every corner or underneath every rock or behind every problem. We're not to get overly concerned or fascinated with the devil's work. I heard Bill Johnson say recently on a tape, he said, I don't look for the devil. If he gets in my way, I just pull the trigger. Spoken like a true American Christian gun owner and hunter. I remember when we first went to America, uh, you know, in Australia, Christians and guns, it just doesn't mix, you know. And then we went and stayed with his family in Texas. He said, would you like to see my gun room? We go in. He's a committed Christian church elder and there is the gun room. Here's my gold-plated bounty. You want to come and have a shoot? Yeah, get the skeeter. You know, and he's just got guns, you know, and they love their hunting and fishing and, you know, praise God, it's all part of it. And so culturally, it kind of sounds funny, you know. I don't look for the devil. If he gets in the way, I just pull the trigger. I don't know what an Australian would say. I just throw a beer at him. Because um, <laughs> that's the other thing, you know, like in Texas where we went, they're shooting and killing everything with guns, but don't drink alcohol, not a drop. It was just a cultural thing, you know, whereas in Australia, as long as you don't get drunk, most people consider it's all right, Christians have a beer or a glass of wine, but some parts of the States, it's like no alcohol. Anyway, back to Winston, and then we'll come to a close. At one point, Winston Churchill said this, you ready? This is a great, great quote. History will be kind to me, for I intend to write it. 
which he did, literally, he wrote three massive volumes of history. They amounted to over two million words. He wrote one on the history of England, or the history of the English-speaking people, one on World War I, and another massive series of volumes on World War II, for which he won the Nobel Prize for Literature. So he was a writer of history. But, of course, what he was also referring to in that quote was the fact that he knew he had a leadership role that would influence the course of history. And he did. And his confidence, again, was displayed in statements like that. In fact, I read a bit about him, because, I, I, like most people, I think he's just fantastic. And, um, uh, you know, I've you know, seen his cigar sitting there in the ashtray, and you imagine those, and all the speeches, we'll fight him on the beaches and all that. It's very moving stuff, and we owe a lot to people like him for our freedom today, 70 years later. Uh, you know, he was one of the last and most influential um, exponents of Whig history, W-H-I-G, uh, which was an ideology that flourished from the 1700s, 1800s, into the 1900s, which really st stated and proposed that Britain had a unique greatness and an imperial destiny. And so, you know, obviously Britannia may not rule as many waves as she once did in the 21st century, uh, but can you see the parallel for us as believers? Because, you know, regardless of our earthly nationality, we as Christians should have such a belief and confidence as people like Churchill did in the British Empire, because our confidence in the is in the, the destiny of the kingdom that we live in exactly. and the kingdom of God is advancing and cannot be beaten yes. and don't have to hand over independence to your former colonies or whatever the, you know, the, the British had to do. Uh, so back to Churchill. Uh, since Dunkirk, uh, Churchill's confidence and his belief strengthened and carried the Allies uh, to eventually wear down the Nazi war machine. And so then several years after Dunkirk, four years uh, almost to the day, um, you come to June the 6th, 1944, D-Day. And uh, this is the famous invasion. And, of course, fascinating that it's only a few hundred kilometres down the road on the French coast from where all those troops were evacuated. And now many of them were returning to f make that final push onto Berlin and win the war. And... Um, and as you know, that was successful, but at the same time, a terrible and bloody initial assault on the beaches of uh, Normandy. And so um, many years later, there was a TV program, and they interviewed a number of different soldiers who were there. There was a US Marine they interviewed, and he landed on Omaha Beach, which was where the Americans mainly went. And you've seen that depicted in films like Saving Private Ryan. And he recalled the terrible bombardment that they suffered, the carnage, and he was amongst it all uh, in the middle of it, and he concluded, we're going to lose the battle. But they interviewed another veteran who on the same day was a reconnaissance pilot, and he flew over the battlefield, and he saw the losses, he saw the sacrifices, he saw the conflict, but he also had the advantage of position in the air and the perspective that he had gave him the view that there was a gradual advancement of the troops up the beach, the disruption of the enemy forces, and his conclusion as he looked on was, we're going to win. And of course he was right, 
and after a number of battles, they pressed on and right up to Berlin and, and got the Nazis to surrender. So I just want you to remember this. It, it's perspective that makes the big difference on the same battle. And rather than feeling hopeless and helpless like that Marine did down on the beach, you can gain God's perspective on your life and your battles and remember, as Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6 tells us, that you've been saved by grace and you've been raised up to sit with Jesus in the heavenly realms. And we can have that perspective on life's issues and battles. A real battle, but real confidence of real victory. Amen? And so let that be your position and know that you're destined to win. Amen. And we're looking forward to exploring this subject in the next few weeks. I want us to just close our eyes, bow our heads for a moment. You know, whatever our situation in life, the single biggest key for us to be successful, to win battles, is our relationship with Jesus. And I want you to consider your relationship with Christ right now as we're just seated for a final few moments. If you're coming here today and... Um, and you're not well connected with Jesus. You know, that's the essence of, of the Christian faith. It's not just being a nice person, going to church, following rules. It's having a real living, breathing, walking, talking relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ. He is our Savior. He's come to earth. He's done all he can. He's reached out to us. But he leaves us with free will and a decision whether we will follow him or not. I want to encourage you to make that decision today. As we've come to a close, I'm always down the front here, and if you'd like to talk to me or let me lead you in a prayer of commitment to Christ, I'd love to do that. We always offer this opportunity. We encourage people to make this decision, but it's your decision. We're not out to coerce, but we do want to do all we can to convince that it's the best decision you'll ever make. To give your life to Christ. He called, Jesus called it being born again, having a brand new way of living. Jesus, we thank you for your love for us and for the victory that you provided for us. Pray that each one of us can look at our lives with your perspective and see not just the terrible trench warfare that we're involved in with all the problems overwhelming us, but to see how you are providing victory. And how each step we take can be a step towards winning in life. Even though we may face difficult challenges. Even though we go through suffering and battlefields. Lord God, we thank you for that spirit of the winner. The, the confidence you've given us. In Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this message and feel challenged and encouraged. Please let others know about our podcast so they too can learn live their best life. You can find out more about our church and ministries at c3cc.org.au. See you next time. God bless.